On the last Sunday of the liturgical year, in the first Sunday of Advent, the church places before us the end of the world. We've been considering it last week and will continue this week. Let's quickly review what we saw last week. First we saw there's no point in having some kind of chicken little, the sky's falling conniption fit when we start thinking about this topic. No matter what happens during the course of our life, if we're in the state of grace and we're doing our duty, we'll be all right. We're all going to die. We're all going to be judged. So the important thing is not so much when we live, but how we die. The important thing is to stay in the state of grace. Then whenever we die, we'll be saved. Finally, that's what matters. Second, we also learned what the word type means. A type is a person, a thing, or an action that actually exists, but it's also intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action. And we took several examples. For example, Jael, the woman in the book of Judges. Remember, she's the woman that saved Israel by pounding a tent stake through the head of an enemy general. We saw that there's at least three types in that story. Obviously, Israel really exists of itself. But Israel is also a type intended by God to prefigure the Catholic Church. The enemy general really existed, but he is also a type intended by God to prefigure the devil and the enemies of the Catholic Church. And Jael, the woman who crushed the head of this enemy general, really existed too, but she's also intended to be a type of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we noted too, when we look at her statue right here, what do we see Our Lady doing? Standing on the head of the serpent, crushing the head of the serpent. Okay, in other words, we can look at a type like Jael, and by looking at what she foreshadows, we can learn certain things about Our Lady. So what's a type? A type is a person, thing, or an action that actually exists which is also intended by God to prefigure or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action. Okay, then we saw in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, St. Paul explicitly teaches that the end of the world can't come unless first there be an apostasy, which is a great falling away from the Catholic faith, and then the Antichrist, or the man of sin, be revealed. Then we took a quick look at a historical example which the fathers and doctors have always considered to be a very clear type of the great apostasy. The apostasy in Jerusalem which occurred around 170 B.C. We saw, among other things, the Jewish people prefigure the Catholic people. The Jewish priests prefigure the Catholic priests. The Jewish temple prefigures the Catholic church and parishes and the city of Jerusalem prefigures the world. Then based on the indications we saw in our quick look at the prefigurement of the apostasy, we realized that during the great apostasy itself we would expect to see such things as the behavior inside Catholic churches becoming increasingly unbecoming, disruptive, and irreverent, Catholics abandoning the true faith and the traditions of their fathers and turning aside to false religions, paganism and worldliness and amongst both the laity and the priests we'd expect to see a dramatic rise in immodest behavior dress 
and perversities, most notably certain politically correct sins and those associated with Boston. Finally, we saw that for the last century, the popes have been explicitly warning us about the great apostasy. So much for the review. Now that we've taken a brief look at the great apostasy as prefigured by the apostasy in Jerusalem around 170 BC, let's take a quick look at the ruler who prefigures the Antichrist. After Alexander the Great died in 323 BC, his kingdom was broken apart into four parts. At the time of the Maccabees, some 150 years after Alexander's death, the part of his kingdom which included the Holy Land was ruled by the Greek king of Syria, a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes prefigures the Antichrist. Today we'll consider certain features of his rule. Why? Again, because the clearer we see the foreshadowings, the clearer an idea it'll give us of the actual future events they point towards. So we'll do this by first reading from the Holy Scriptures, selections out of the first and second book of Maccabees. For the sake of time, I've cut and spliced things together. There's a lot more here than we can possibly cover, so I've just selected some things. We'll select first from the Scriptures, and then, after we read the Scripture, we'll turn to the great scriptural commentary prepared some 400 years ago by that saintly Belgian Jesuit, Father Cornelius Elapidae, who, at the order of the Pope, spent 40 years assembling the works of the Church Fathers into a massive 21-volume line-by-line commentary on the Scriptures. So let's get started. Inspired Word of God. Quote, and some of the Jewish people determined to make a covenant with the heathens and went to the king, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he authorized them to follow the ordinances of the heathens. Close quote. Cornelius Elapidae, quote, the leaders did this so that they might introduce Gentile rituals and customs, and especially false religions and idolatry, and the attending unrestrained, unbridled, open lusts into Judea. There's that link between false religions, idolatry, and lust. Who went to Antiochus Epiphanes with this request? Cornelius Elapidae, quote, The leader of the wicked men was Jason, who had treacherously managed to seize the high priesthood for himself. Close quote. What's going on? We see ambitious apostate priests paving the way for the tyrannical rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. Last week we saw the state that the people fell into. We saw the resulting apostasy. It bears repeating. As a good priest I know likes to point out, whenever you see the church go down, it's always an inside job. So what happened after the apostasy had grown to full bloom? The inspired word of God, quote, And it came to pass that through the whole city of Jerusalem for the space of 40 days, there were seen horsemen running in the air in gilded raiment and armed with spears like bands of soldiers and horses set in order by ranks running one against another with the shakings of shields and a multitude of men with helmets drawn swords casting of darts and glittering of golden armor and of harnesses of all sorts wherefore all men prayed that these prodigies might turn to good close quote Cornelius Elapidae, quote, Indeed, this portent was done by the angels at the command of God. 
that through these things God might warn the Jews beforehand about the attack soon to be made upon him by Antiochus Epiphanes. Close quote. Father Cornelius Labadee then describes a whole series of other examples of similar angelic signs and portents that happened in the skies before battles, including one seen by St. Gregory the Great, and even one that he himself had witnessed as a youth before a great battle. But time doesn't permit us into getting into all that. Okay, so now that the Lord has warned us, every one of the upcoming attack, Antiochus Epiphanes arrives on the scene in Jerusalem. The inspired word of God, quote, And Antiochus went up to Jerusalem with a great multitude, and he took the city by force of arms. And he commanded the soldiers to kill and not to spare any that came in their way and to go up into the houses to slay. Thus there was a slaughter of young and old, a destruction of women and children, and a killing of virgins and infants. And there were slain in the space of three whole days 80,000. 40,000 were made prisoners and as many sold as slaves. Close quote. Now those numbers might not seem so remarkable given modern weaponry, but we think that's up close and personal with a sword to kill 80,000 is incredible. That's still not all. Inspired word of God, quote, But this was not enough. Antiochus Epiphanes presumed also to enter into the temple, the most holy in all the world. And taking in his wicked hands the holy vessels, he unworthily handled and profaned them. And he proudly entered into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar and the candlestick of light and all the vessels and the veil and the crowns and the golden ornament that was before the temple. And he broke them all in pieces. He took the silver and gold and the precious vessels. And he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken it all, he departed in his own country. Close quote. What's going on? Why does God allow this arrogant pagan to strip and plunder the temple? In spite of the word of God, gives us the answer. Quote, God was angry for a while because of the sins of the inhabitants of the city. And therefore this contempt had happened to the place. And the holy place itself shared in the evils of the people. Close quote. Comments from Hadar. Quote, temples and sacrifices are for our own advantage. God has often suffered sacred places to be profane when piety has been disregarded. Close quote. What's the point? Well, last week we saw what had happened. Instead of being pious, instead of clinging to the true faith, in large part the Jewish people and the priests had turned away and become apostate. Comments from Hadok, quote, All religious rites are designed for God's glory and man's welfare. Hence, when they cease to serve God, the holy things are destroyed or taken away. Close quote. All religious rites are designed for God's glory and man's welfare. When they cease to serve God, the holy things are destroyed or taken away. The holy things are destroyed or taken away when they're no longer used for God's glory and man's welfare. There's a very important, a very serious message here for each of us. This beautiful faith, this beautiful liturgy, they're all ours to lose. If we're not pious, if we're not serious of avoiding sacrilegious communions, 
every kind of irreverent behavior, training our families the same way, God will take this all away. All of it. He's done before. He'll do it again. That's not a prophecy. That's a certainty. God means what he says, and he won't be mocked or trifled with for very long. So far we've seen death and profanation and the stripping of the temple, but it gets worse. The inspired word of God, quote, And King Antiochus wrote to all his kingdom that all the people should be one, and everyone should leave his own law. And many of Israel consented to his service, and they sacrificed to idols and profaned the Sabbath. Whosoever would not do this should be put to death. Close quote. Cornelius Elapidae. Antiochus commanded that there should be uniformity in faith and religion so that all the people would be united in the same superstitions and idolatry just as they were all united in the same kingdom. And therefore the Jews should abandon the laws and the worship of God handed down to Moses and defile themselves with sacrilegious sacrifices, the superstitions and idols of the Gentiles. And many of Israel consented. Here we see the exclusive claims of true religion being put to the test. And we see many of the Jews actually becoming pagan idolaters. But it gets worse. The inspired word of God. Quote, King Antiochus set up the abominable idol of desolation upon the altar of God. And they built altars throughout all the cities of Judah round about. And they cut in pieces and burnt with fire the books of the laws of God. And everyone with whom the books of the testament of the Lord were found, and whosoever observed the law of the Lord, they put to death according to the edict of the king. And they sacrificed upon the altar the idol that was over against the altar of God. Close quote. Cornelius Lapidae. For Antiochus wished to abolish the worship of the true God and to force the Jews to adore his idol. For Antiochus wished to be worshipped as one with the god Jove himself. And not only did he want to force the Jews to turn away from the worship of God to the worship of Jove, at the same time, he wanted to force them to commit impurities, which is plainly the work of the devil. Therefore, Antiochus ordered that the idol of Jove be placed in the temple, dedicated by a solemn rite, and adored, and that the temple from that point be called the Temple of Jove. On this altar they sacrificed not only to Jove, but to Antiochus himself, as if he were God. For he himself wished to be worshipped as a god, just as was predicted by the prophet Daniel. Therefore, Antiochus is a type of the Antichrist. Behold, this is indeed the abomination of desolation, predicted more than 300 years before by the prophet Daniel. So there we see the abomination of desolation in the temple. A pagan idol, a demon, worshipped by the pagans, is set up in the temple of the true God, and false worship is offered to it. The inspired word of God, quote, And when the feast of Bacchus was killed, kept, the Jews were compelled to go about crowned with ivy in honor of Bacchus. And whoever would not conform themselves to the ways of the Gentiles should be put to death. Close quote. Cornelius Elapidae, quote, When the Bacchanalia, that is the feast of Bacchus, was celebrated with drinking, dancing, public spectacles, impurities, and all the sins of the flesh, 
the Jews were forced to wear cowns of ivory in honor of Bacchus and to go around the temple or the city. The city of God, that great work written by the great bishop and doctor of church, St. Augustine, has a chapter entitled, Concerning the Shamefulness of the Rites, which are celebrated in honor of Bacchus. The rites are so foul that even St. Augustine's restrained descriptions cannot be read from the pulpit. There's plenty more, but we can all get the general picture. Now remember what a type is. It's a person, a thing, or an action that actually exists, which is also tended by God to point forward, to prefigure, or foreshadow a future person, thing, or action. Keep in mind that Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist. So he prefigures Antichrist. The Jewish people prefigure the Catholic people. The Jewish priests prefigure the Catholic priests. The Jewish temple prefigures the Catholic church and Catholic parishes. And the city of Jerusalem prefigures the world. Based on the indications we've seen in the prefigurement of both the great apostasy and Antichrist, and because our Lord has specifically commanded us to read the signs of the times, watch ye, therefore, and blessed is he that watcheth, here are a few signs that Catholics might want to be on the lookout for. Sign, as we saw last week, behavior inside Catholic churches becoming increasingly unbecoming, disruptive, and irreverent. Sign, Catholics abandoning the true faith and traditions of their fathers and turning to false religions, paganism, and worldliness. Sign, amongst both the laity and priests, a dramatic rise in immodest dress, perversities, and behavior, most notably, certain politically correct sins and those associated with Boston. Sign, Catholic priests neglecting their priestly duties, especially the holy sacrifice of the Mass and the application of the once-for-all sin offering to sinners in the confessional. Sign, signs and portents in the sky. In today's Gospel, when our Lord speaks of signs in the sun, it's hard not to think of Fatima. Sign, wholesale slaughter, martyrdom of Catholics. Sign, profanation and stripping of the beauty, sacred vessels, and treasures found in Catholic churches. Sign, persecution and punishment for keeping the laws of God. On that note, the remarks made by Cardinal Ratzinger last week are worth noting. He pointed out that the development of a secular ideological aggression in Europe is a cause for concern, and then said, quote, In Sweden, a Protestant minister who preached about a certainly politically correct sin on the basis of an excerpt from scriptures was put in jail for a month. Secularism is no longer that element of neutrality which opens up space for freedom for all. It is beginning to change into an ideology which through politics is being imposed. It concedes no public space to the Catholic vision. Close quote. Sign, a push towards a united one world religion, which of course is not the true religion. On that note, the URI, the United Religions Initiative, founded in 1995, also deserves a closer look. The goal of the United Religions Initiative is to create a spiritual equivalent of the United Nations which encompasses all religions and all types of spirituality. Well, nearly all religions and all types of spirituality. Keep in mind there are more than one type of spirit. 
The stated goals of the URI include peace and unity among religions, social justice, and of course, preservation of the environment. At the 1997 URI Summit Conference, a public worship service included a procession of 15 banners with symbols. The symbols represented the world's religions, including a banner for Wicca. That's the neo-pagan witchcraft movement. The 15th banner had on it an empty silver circle representing the religions which are to come. We shouldn't be particularly alarmed at this, but we should pay attention. Sign, the abomination of desolation, erecting of idols in Catholic churches, and false idolatrous worship being given to them, and ultimately to the Antichrist himself. On this note, it's worth considering an event which took place in May, and may very well be a preview of coming attractions. On May 5th of this year, Portuguese television broadcast a, quote, uncommon ecumenical experience, close quote. This uncommon ecumenical experience took place in the chapel built on the very site where Our Lady appeared to the children at Fatima. Hindus, led by their priest, actually committed an act of idolatry at the altar by offering Our Lady something called puja, which is, for them, divine worship. As they explained, they regard Mary as a manifestation of God, not as an actual historical woman, distinct from the Creator, but as one of their avatars, or divine manifestations. Not Our Lady, but an avatar. The Hindus made this so clear that even the television commentator understood it and repeated it. As the broadcast said, quote, This is a day dedicated to the greatest of all female deities. She is called the Most Holy Mother, the Goddess Devi, the deity of nature who many Portuguese Hindus also find in Fatima. A Hindu lady in the broadcast explained, quote, As a Hindu who believes the whole world, or rather all human beings, are members of a global family, it would be natural for me to see any manifestation of God, including Our Lady of Fatima, as a manifestation of the same God. Close quote. The newscast then shows the Hindus bringing flowers to the statue of Our Lady inside the Capilina, which is a little chapel built over the spot where Our Lady appeared. The Hindu priest stands at the altar and recites a Hindu prayer. The Hindu priest stands at a Catholic altar and recites a Hindu prayer. The TV announcer states, quote, This is a unique moment in the history of the sanctuary and the devotion itself. Well, as a parenthetical comment, that's an understatement. The Hindu priest, the Shastri, recites at the altar the Shanti Pa, the prayer for peace. Close quote. The broadcast ended with the image of the Hindu priest wrapping the bishop and rector of the shrine in Hindu prayer shawls decorated with verses from the Gavad Gita, the most popular of Hindu religious books. What are we to think of all this? Well, let's consult God. Psalm 95.5, quote, all the gods of the Gentiles are devils. Close quote. That's the Holy Ghost. Sign, a wholesale rise in the worship of Bacchus. Remember the pagan feast of Bacchus. The Bacchanalia was celebrated with drinking, dancing, public spectacles, impurities, and all the sins of the flesh. These events still exist. Bacchanalia still exists. Drinking, dancing, public spectacles, impurities, all the sins of the flesh. It's just been electrified. 
It's modern rock concert. As David Bowie says, and he ought to know, quote, rock and roll has always been the devil's music, close quote. So if we were heeding our Lord's command to watch, these are a few of the signs we might want to watch for. The popes have already given us a pretty fair notion of where in history we're living. Now what are we supposed to do? We've got to remember that God's in charge. He loves us. He knows exactly when in history he wanted each one of us to live. We don't need to imitate Chicken Little. We need to do our duty in our state and life. We need to get serious about keeping the commandments, get serious about our faith, get serious about growing in holiness. Every day, say a rosary, three Hail Marys, and other prayers, wear the brown scapular, stop sinning, go to confession about every two weeks, make fervent communions, put God first, and become holy. Do your duty. It's pretty basic. Do your duty.